This is episode 74 of the Higher Christian Life broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. The Christian life is more than following a set of do's and don'ts or memorizing a bunch of scriptures, although doing that can greatly aid in your walk with Him. But no, the Christian life is about an experience, your experience when you encounter the risen Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and makes His home in you. I mean, think about that. That event is not something to ponder in your head as doctrine only, but to experience in every fiber of your being. Let me say it again. The Christian life is one of experience, and an experience that is transformational in nature. Just think about your heroes from the Bible. They became heroes not by what they learned or understood cognitively about the Lord, but when they experienced an encounter with Him. Think of Moses in the burning bush, Elijah at the Mount of the Cave, or Paul on a Damascus road. Everyone who experiences an encounter with God is transformed into something new. Everyone, including you. Do you want to learn more about how to experience God in a way that you will never forget and will change you in a way you can't even imagine? Good. Then join us today as we examine what an encounter with God can do in your life as we embrace the higher Christian life. So let's jump right in, shall we? Last couple of weeks, I've been thinking a lot about uh, the whole purpose of church. You know, why, why do we do this? Um, what's the point of us coming together? And we spent a lot of time looking at Acts chapter 2, where it talked about the four things the early church devoted themselves to. If you remember Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, which we would interpret today as preaching or the exposition of God's word, letting us know more about him from his word, growing in our faith, stuff of that nature. Uh, a key part of discipleship. Second, they devoted themselves to fellowship. That, of course, is koinonia. It's more than just um, patting somebody on the back and going to a football game together and you know, eating a chicken dinner every now and then. It actually means a partnership or cooperation together, a bonding together for a common goal is what the word koinonia means. And, and so the church would get together and they would understand God's commands for them and who Christ was and all of that by studying his word, the apostles' doctrine. Then they would bond together over some task or some ministry, a mission that's greater than they are. You know, everybody who has ever made a huge impact in the world has always been committed to a cause greater than themselves. We find a lot of that void in the church today because the cause that most Christians are committed to is the same cause lost people are committed to, which is themselves. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and we've talked about that at great length. That can mean the Lord's Supper. That can also mean a fellowship meal together. It probably was both at that time, which just facilitated the koinonia part. And then they devoted themselves to prayer. Um, probably not like we're used to praying. Hey, uh, we've got six prayer requests here. Would anybody like to pray for these prayer requests? And everybody goes stoic. They kind of look around. They, yeah, yeah, let's see from my vantage point, break eye contact. And, you know, and then if you let it sit for a while, then a few people feel guilty about it. And so they'll volunteer to, and it's just always been that way. And then when we do pray, since we're praying corporately, do we pray 
Church prayers, dear Heavenly Father, creator of the cosmos, thank you for your sovereign whatever. Do we pray personal prayers? Are we more concerned with what other people are listening to? Is there power in our prayers? And and then I, I started looking at all of that and why God put it together that way, and we break it down into various functions. This is that part, that's the preaching part, and that's the prayer part, and that's the fellowship part, and that's the communion or fellowship meal part, and look at them as like separate segments and never quite get to the whole, but the whole purpose of this is to experience him in various areas of worship. I more I've I've been looking at, at this. I realized that, you know, we live, in a, um, we live in a society that is very cerebral, especially in the church, especially in the churches we've all grown up in. You know, you um, were part of the Enlightenment. I think, therefore, I am. It's book knowledge and book learning. And, you know, we understand Edo rather than understanding Gnosko. And experience is something that we equate with emotion, and so if you experience something that you're emotional about it, and we don't want to be confused by emotions because there's these other denominations over here which are just like constant emotion, but their doctrine isn't exactly the way we would want it to be. We don't want to be part of that, and so therefore we have to be the frozen chosen. We have to be the, the non-emotional ones because since we're non-emotional and since we've an interpreted experience to be somewhat of an emotion, therefore we have lost the ability to truly experience God or encounter God whenever we come together or whenever we're with him alone. So I've asked the Lord, you've got you to help me understand this. You've got to show it to me in Scripture. You need to, I, need to, I need to see exactly what you're saying. And I have a couple conclusions here that, uh, again, this is a very long sermon, like 220 slides where I go through like 13 different passages. I'm not doing that. Um, I'm going to share those with you, and I will send you out. If not today, it'll be uh, tomorrow. I'll send you out an email that will list all those that you can look them up yourself. I don't want to take the time micro-studying this and miss the big picture. Here's the big picture. Almost everything in the Christian life is an experience. Not necessarily an emotional experience, but an experience. You experience something. It becomes real to you. You, you understand it. It's like every time you meet with God, every time you encounter God, it's an experience and you experience God in such a way that when that encounter is over, you still remember what it was like when you experienced him. When you guys went to Asbury, it was an experience. It wasn't doctrinal. It wasn't like, that was really good. I'm going to go home and ponder that and think about that. You walked into the place or even around it, and what attracted people to it was an experience that they had. Um, I watched... Some of the um, services that they had, I was more interested in the interviews afterwards when they were interviewing these people about what this meant to me. I think Vic watched it all week long, did you not, that they had it? And, and you know, what amazed me about that was the testimonies that the people had. The testimonies were not about 
yeah, I, I discovered some amazing truth I never found before. As a matter of fact, the Greek word actually means so-and-so, and I always viewed it as this, and, and so therefore I packed this away in my head that if I ever teach Sunday school, I can bring it back up. And no, it wasn't anything like that. It was an encounter. It was an experience that changed lives. Doctrine and theology focuses lives, but encounters and experiences with God change lives. And like I said here, every time anybody in the Bible, I mean, I was shocked. I started going through beginning in Genesis and looked for exceptions to this, and I found none. I haven't gone through every verse, but I haven't found any. Every time anybody, even a lost person, encounters God, experiences God, radical transformation takes place. That transformation could be brokenness and repentance. It could be being contrite. It could be falling on their face before the Lord and, oh, what a wretched man that I am. It could be encouragement. It could be a commitment to something greater than themselves. It was always transformational, always. And it wasn't the teaching even the singing or the worship, it wasn't the prayers, because prayers in and of themselves don't change lives. When prayers are used as a vehicle to encounter God and experience God, it's the experience and the encounter that changes, his li- changes life. Make sense? Last couple weeks, we've been going through Psalm 51, looking at the difficult task of repentance. And the purpose of repenting is to experience and encounter God. Last week, I basically shared this with you. I just drew some names randomly, and I started thinking about what impact they had in their life. And every one of these people, and I ask you to add a dozen more to it, every one of these people from the Old Testament patriarchs to the Apostle Paul Every one of them, lives were changed, not because they had a new way of viewing things in their mind or because they, uh, they, they internalized the truth that they didn't understand before or that the fact that they understood something cognitively a little bit deeper than they did before. Every one of these people's lives were changed with an encounter. They had an encounter with God. They experienced something with him. The theology and the doctrine deepened that encounter and gave them more depth to what they were understanding. But it was like it was no longer a form of knowledge or a form of righteousness and no power. There was power in their lives because of an encounter. Moses ruined his life until he encountered God in a burning bush. Jacob, God, what a, he would not be somebody you want to be in a foxhole with and really kind of count on. And Jacob encountered God and spent the rest of his life. He walked limping. We've got Abraham was told in an encounter to leave his family and go to someplace. God was going to show him. Elijah encountered God and experienced God at the mouth of the cave. Remember all the stories? Isaiah was just praying, and was in the presence of God and heard a conversation going on among the Godhead. Isaiah 6, who shall we send? And who will go for us? What do you think, Jesus? I don't know. We need to find someone. How about you, Holy Spirit? Well, and and Isaiah hears this conversation and blurts out, here I am, Lord, send me. And if you'll read from that verse 
on, the message he sent to send is not one that makes him popular. Woman with the issue of blood, Mary Magdalene, Peter, Paul. This is Damascus Road experience. But it wasn't the fact that he was just blind and fell off his horse. It was the fact that he heard someone, he heard God, he encountered God that said, why are you persecuting me? You know, when we seek to run after God, we, we need to seek him in a transformational kind of encounter where we encounter him for who he is and we are forever changed. But Lord, if that's true, then I wonder if everything in the Christian life is really an experience. Well, let's pick something kind of crazy here. Let's take the fruits of the Spirit. Well, those are kind of things that the Lord gives to us, these fruits that we have, that we somehow manifest them in our life or let him manifest them in our life. And, you know, until you look at them a little bit deeper and you realize that every one of these fruits is something you experience. I experience love. I mean, I understand God loves me. And that's cognitive, and I pack that away, and that makes me feel pretty good. But once you encounter God and you experience him, like the songs we, we sang today, all of a sudden his love overwhelms you. His love takes possession of you. All of a sudden that love becomes something almost tangible. That no matter what the world throws at you, I see this agape love of God, and it's more than just me knowing, it's actually encountering and experiencing this love. So when I'm faced in a situation where the world is turned against me, I don't care because I not only have a cognitive understanding that I trust in faith about God's love based on Scripture, but I also have experienced it in every fiber of my being from the inside out. I've gone through immense persecution, immense pain and suffering. Matter of fact, I'm in the middle of it right now. I'm with my buddy in the jail cell in the utter darkness down in Philippi. We've been flogged and beaten. We're going to be dragged out tomorrow morning and maybe even executed. But at midnight, among all the excrement that's in there, I don't care. I've got this joy so that I'm singing praise songs to God in the middle of a horrific situation. How can you do that? I, I can't make myself do it. I can't cognitively think, no, 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 I'm, I'm just going to think joy, think joy, think joy, and fake it somehow. It has to be something that comes from deep within, this experience now of so much joy in the middle of a jail cell that I can't help but praise God in the middle of my turmoil. It's an experience. And if it's not an experience, then the fruits of the Spirit are just doctrine, and they never change our lives. Peace and long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you list them. I mean, you hear people testifying about that. I mean, things were really terrible. I mean, it was so bad, I was going to lose my house, I was going to lose my job, my friends were going to turn against me, the doctor told me it was going to be stage four. I mean, it was, it was, it was I, 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 I didn't even know what to do. I was just curled up in a fetal position. Oh, why God? And then, all of a sudden, I experienced something. What? This peace. This peace came over me. It wasn't generated from me, and it wasn't based on some 
doctrine I was holding on to, this peace came over that, that passed all understanding, a peace that only Christ can give. And then I realized that in the midst of turmoil that I'm loved, that I'm not forsaken, that God sees the end from the beginning, and I was able to actually live according to the experience I had rather than just the preaching I heard. Do you see the difference? And when you ask somebody to share their testimony, hey, uh, tell me, um, tell me, Watchman Nee, who spent two and a half years in solitary confinement in this, like, nothing larger than a closet and, and uh, for crimes against the state when you were basically just sharing your faith. Tell me, Mr. Nee, what was that like? And they never share sermons they've heard. They never share doctrine. It was an experience. Jesus said it, and I believed it, and he allowed me to experience it. And, and since it happened to me, and I know it's real, I want it to happen to you. Everybody that you talk to that has lost weight or got healthy or you know, made a goal for themselves and actually reached that goal, every one of them shares with you not the you know, rules that they tried to follow by sheer determination, but they share with you the experience of what it was like to achieve what they were looking for. And it's the experience that compels us. Watch very carefully. Big picture here. Sin is an experience. Is it? Yeah. It's not just a mental gymnastic thing. It's not like you read something and go, oh, that's sin, and oh, that's righteousness, and I'm reading the word sin and reading the word righteousness and what that means, and so therefore, when I read one, it's 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 an experience. Everything in your life is an experience. Once you sin, you experience guilt and remorse. That's not something you just set aside. It's actually something that grips you from the inside, that compels you to to seek for repentance, like we talked about in um, Psalm 51. Repentance is an experience. It can be emotional. It doesn't have to be emotional. But nevertheless, for repentance to be real, you experience true repentance. I was once like this. I offended God greatly. I don't ever want to be that way again. When you experience forgiveness, it is, by definition, an experience. You know, I, um, I was eat up with guilt and shame. I didn't know what to do with my life. I, I felt terrible about the things that I did. I confessed my sins to the Lord. I grieved over them. I, I repented, and, and all of a sudden, I experienced this weight lifted off my shoulders. I realized not only cognitively, but even deeper, not Edo, but Gnosko, I realized and I knew that I had been forgiven. And since I've been forgiven, it's changed my life. I I have a smile on my face now. I can walk boldly into the uh, throne room of God. I truly can experience what it's like to be a child of his. I experienced him. If you have ever been filled with the Holy Spirit, you know it's an experience, one that you want to have all the time. You feel his power, you feel his joy. Even in salvation, regeneration is an experience. I used to be one way, and now I'm, I'm this way. I mean, it's exactly what happened in my salvation. 
But there's more. Worship. Here's the part that we struggle with. Worship is an experience. It's not a bunch of songs that we sing. It's not responsive readings. It's not somebody getting up and proclaiming scripture. I mean, all those things may aid us in worship. You know, what Levi does on Sunday morning is set the table. It's your job to worship. And when you do worship, it's an experience. God, I really felt God's presence. I experienced his love and his joy and his peace. And the words that were sung and the, the meditation of my heart, heart was pleasing to him. And I left here having experienced the presence of God more so than I did before I came. Even faith is an experience. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Suffering and deliverance from your suffering are experiences. When God does something divine in your life and it's experience, fellowship's an experience, prayer is an experience, all of the Christian life is an experience. If you've had that experience, you want to tell somebody else about it. If you haven't had that experience, the Christian life is hard. We come to church because we need to, because we should, because God commands us to come, and yet we get nothing out of it. We don't go out there and tell the world about how we have encountered God because we haven't. Or if we have, it's been such a long time. But once you have an experience with him, and you can't wait to come back. You can't wait to tell somebody about it. You can't wait until you meet with him again. Does this make sense? Well, let's take it one step further. You could really look at your entire Christian life from the moment of your regeneration to the moment of your glorification when you die. And it can be defined as simply a chain of God-ordained experiences with him. Some are mountaintop experiences, some are chastisement experiences to get you back on the mountaintop. Some are where he says, yes, you are beloved, my child. Some are when he says, you're thinking pretty selfishly right now. But everything in our Christian life, if you think about it from the beginning to the end, is based on an experience with God, an encounter with God. And the idea is the fact is when you're young, you encounter God a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the more you encounter God, the more, more you realize how incredible that is. And you strive for more of him, an experience of meeting with him, talking to him face to face, spending time with him. So, the time, so as you grow and mature in your faith, you're encountering him more so that you're able to then take new believers who are just starting out and to show them how you have experienced God so they can be where you are and then even further than you are. That's, that's the way discipleship is supposed to work. But many of us just run from any experience with God, any encounter with God. We want to keep it in our, just our devotionals. We want to read our, you know, 365-day Bible. I'm not maligning that at all, just for the sake of reading it rather than reading it to experience him. Because when you experience him, he's going to show you some things in your life that you don't want him to. And he's going to command you to deal with those, and you either will or you won't. And when you deal with those, then all of a sudden you and him move forward together in fellowship. If you refuse to deal with those, it's almost like he says, that's it. We don't go any further. I don't tell you anything new to do. 
if you haven't even been faithful with what I've already told you. It is a troubling experience sometimes. But then every time you encounter him, you become more like him. And then you have this desire to tell other people about it, and it becomes incredible. So let's take it one step further. If this is true, then since it's the Holy Spirit who lives in us, then it seems like almost everything about the Holy Spirit and his interaction with us, everything is actually an experience that you will experience and encounter him or you won't. If you experience and encounter him from his attributes, he can do incredible things in your life. If you refuse to, then church and religion and Christianity becomes just that, a religion, something we do out of rote rather than do out of passion and excitement. And it shows in how willing we are to tell others about him. So here's what I did. I went ahead and I took 11 attributes of the Holy Spirit, and I looked at every one of those, and there's so many more. I just took common ones that we would know. For example, he is our comforter, and I pulled up the passage, John 14, verse 16 and 17, where he is the parakletos, and he's the comforter, the one that comes alongside. And, and so I started looking at all of these, and I'm going to briefly go through these, and I'm going to send you a, uh, an email that will list all these for you at a, uh, in the next day or two. But I took every one of these, and I thought, okay, God, who are you? Well, you're a teacher. The Holy Spirit's our teacher. The Holy Spirit is the one that reveals to us divine mysteries. The Holy Spirit is the one that renews our life. The Holy Spirit is our deposit, our guarantee of our future inheritance to come. It's, he's the one that, that allows us to experience the joy of eternal security. He's our comforter. He's the one that empowers us. And I took all these Bible verses, and I started examining those, and I realized that every single thing the Holy Spirit does for us is an experience. It's an encounter with him that changes our life. The first one, and I will pray to the Father, and he'll give you another helper. We've already looked at the word alos, being another, which is uh, just like the original. Jesus says, I'm going to bring you somebody just like me, who is the helper. And that Greek word, you should memorize this one, is parakletos, and it means to comfort, to encourage, to exhort. It's someone who comes alongside. And so Jesus is leaving. He's going to send us someone just like himself who will do exactly what Jesus does and comfort us and encourage us and come alongside us that he may abide with you forever. Who is that? That's a spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because they're not regenerated because it neither sees him nor gnoskos him, but you know him by experience, gnosko, how? Because he not only dwells with you, which is what Jesus did, but he lives in you, which is what the Holy Spirit does. All right, Lord, so uh, how is this an experience? That's really simple. Have you, uh, have you ever experienced the comfort of God? Ever. And what was that like? Oh, I, I don't know. It was... It was something otherworldly. It was something that did not come from me. My circumstances never changed. My circumstances actually got worse. But all of a sudden, this Holy Spirit came alongside to encourage and counsel me, to, to comfort me. And I realized that 
that he is sovereign and he is king and, and he loves me and he lives in me. And even though the circumstances may be dire, the fact is he can do whatever he wants, whatever he chooses he wants. And I experience divine comfort. I experienced a divine encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I can't wait to tell somebody else about it who's struggling like I was, not about the theology of the parakletos, which is great, but instead about the comfort I experienced in the middle of my darkness. And when we experience him, that's when we share. That's when our lives are changed. That's when everything gets different. Make sense? He's our teacher. Again, same passage. But the helper, the parakletos, who now is defined as the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach. Teach. This word is really specific when it talks about teaching. It means to know, to teach, to instruct by word of mouth. Wow. That was the word that the Holy Spirit chose to use when John was penning this. And he did it for a reason. By the way, what he'll teach us is everything and bring to our remembrance everything Christ ever did. So the question, have you ever experienced the Holy Spirit instructing you, teaching you, speaking to you, mouth to ear? Has he ever opened up the word to you? Is all of a sudden this thing that you've read over and over again, this passage, all of a sudden got wings and just took off. And Yes, yes, I, I see this now. I, I see exactly what you're saying. Like the layers are peeled off. Have you ever experienced God or the Holy Spirit teaching you in your life? Well, no, I just listen to podcasts and, you know, sermons on Sunday and Read a John MacArthur book now and then. But, uh, and you know, it's interesting. I, I learned some new things. It's not about learning. It's about that learning now being internalized, that you've experienced him in such a way that you can't wait to share it with somebody else. Yes, I struggled like that, but let me tell you what God said to me through his word or however. Just click through these quickly. He's our source of power, Acts 1.8. So if he's our source of power, have you ever experienced that power working in your life? Have you ever, you know, we're in a situation where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these, you're having a conversation with someone that you're scared to death to even bring the gospel up, and maybe they asked you a question, and, and these verses and this truth came bubbling out from somewhere inside of you, and you couldn't even believe the words that were coming out of your mouth. And as the words were coming out, all of a sudden, they had this transforming effect on the person that you're talking with, and they, 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 it broke them, and they repented, and you walked away from that encounter going, oh my gosh, that was God. That was 100% God. I yielded myself to him, and I experienced his power working in me. And all I want to do is have another opportunity to encounter him so his power can work in me. It's not about just understanding the doctrine about the Deutimus power of God. It's about actually living in it and actually experiencing it. And that's what changes lives, and that's what brings revival. He's the convictor of our sin. 
And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict. This word means to prove one in the wrong and thus to shame him and show him to be guilty. Wow, I didn't have to say that. It was amazing. I, all I did was just talk about what God has done in my life, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came, and the conviction came so much that this person got on their knees and asked Christ. I've been praying for him for so long to come to faith and, and, or to bring them to faith, and, and it was all God. He did that. I experienced that. He's our guide. Wow. I love that one, Romans 8.14. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Led. That word means to lead, bring forth, and carry. That God moves us in a direction. He takes care of us. And So have you ever experienced the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? And if so, what did it do for your spiritual life? And if... if You've experienced God leading you to make the right decision, leading you to do something maybe you didn't want to do, and yet you saw the benefits from that. How did it impact you in your desire for a deeper encounter with him? He's the source of all our fruitfulness. We've already looked at the passage in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Have you ever experienced any of these in your life? Not just know them, but actually experience them. He's our intercessor. Oh, wow. You ever got to the point where you couldn't pray and you didn't know how to pray? He says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I'm so overwhelmed with fear and doubt and just problems. I don't even know what direction to go. I don't even know what's best, God. I don't even know how to pray. And I, I, I can't even pray. Words don't even come out. But he says that when we don't know how to pray like we ought, that the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. That means that he appeals and pleads on our behalf to someone. Do you ever experience that? I, uh, I, I just, I didn't know what to do. And so I, I remember I just, I just, I, I got in my car by myself and I just went to a, a park somewhere and I've shared my experience with you, by the way. And I just sat in a car and I just started praying. And all I could say was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. I didn't even know, but I could feel, I could experience. I knew that somehow the Holy Spirit was praying for me. And my spirit was connected with, with the whole, with, with his spirit. And I knew that I was encountering God face to face. And it was no effort on my own. It was, it was incredible. It was an encounter, an experience. And I can't wait to tell somebody else about it. He's our seal of our salvation, Ephesians 1, our guarantee of our future inheritance to come. I won't bother going through that, but I will ask you this. Have you ever experienced the joy of knowing truly saved, always saved? Of knowing that your salvation is secure? Of knowing that uh, there's no one that can snatch you out of the Father's hand and of Christ's hands? None of that at all? And when you're, you think you've committed the unpardonable sin and you think that all life is lost and you realize, no, it's not right now. And if, if I have ever experienced that, where did that come from? It came from an encounter with the Holy Spirit of him doing what he does in our life. It's more than doctrine. It's inward just compulsion towards him that makes us want to tell other people about it. 
like the prodigal son. I had gone astray. I had grieved the Holy Spirit. I had moved away from him. I had found myself uh, um, like David's psalm against you and you only have I sinned. And all of a sudden, I confessed my sins. I asked him to create in me a clean heart and to renew a steadfast spirit in me, to restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And I realized that, that he, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of who I am in him. So has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a vice that used to be your weakness that you struggled with all the time and then all of a sudden you turned it over to him and now it becomes your strength and now it becomes something you will never go back to? That it's just an anathema to you because your spirit has been renewed and been changed and you've gone back to the Lord and he's run out and meet you and embraced you and, yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm not worthy to even be called your son. Ah, oh, forget that. We're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to show you how much I truly love you. And you've experienced that in such a way that you can't wait to tell somebody else who was struggling like you and you're not just throwing a Bible verse at him or... or trying to teach him a doctrine, but you've added to that doctrine an actual experience and encounter with him, so it's absolutely true to you. Where do you think when you have a spiritual victory, where do you think that comes from? Your self-dedication or the Holy Spirit? You've experienced him and encountered him in a profound way. He's the giver of gifts. I'll not bother looking at those, but if you look at the 1 Corinthians 12 passage, you'll find that they all come through the Holy Spirit. Every gift in his church is a gift of the Spirit. Every time you operate in your giftedness, you're operating by an experience with the Holy Spirit. Here's the one I love. He's the one that reveals the mysteries of God to us. Really? Yeah. World can't, um, world can't accept them, but you can. 1 Corinthians 2. For eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. There's a doctrinal truth. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Have you experienced that you can't even imagine, that nobody can even imagine or have ever heard about the things God wants to do for you and to you and through you because he loves you that much? I, I, I know, I, I, I read the doctrine, but, but I don't understand it. How do I experience that? Well, that truth then, but God has revealed them. What is them? The things which God has prepared for you to us, to his spirit. And when he reveals those to you, it becomes more than just the doctrine you teach in Sunday school. It becomes that plus so much more. And don't get me wrong, it's not our doctrines that compel us to go out there and share Jesus with the lost world, because if it was, we'd be doing that. It's our experience with him that compels us to do that based on our doctrine. It like consummate the relationship. It, it brings it full circle. You ever had a rhema from God? Where God specifically gives a word to you, maybe through his word? And you know it's true. It comes directly from God. It's a personal message from him to you. And when you get that, 
everything changes. Your whole life changes. You're not the same person anymore. You've read the verse, but now all of a sudden it's quickened to you. You've experienced that verse, that rhema, and it's like, oh my gosh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. That has staying power. Word knowledge, not necessarily. One more, and I'll close. It is the Holy Spirit that provides the proof of our faith. Our experience and faith are are two totally separate items. No, they're not. They're not. We don't believe because of experience. We believe because of faith. But faith and no works, faith alone really is nothing more than like a, a mental ascension. But when we have faith, it gives us the courage and the experience with the Holy Spirit based on our faith to do mighty things, like the call of Abraham. I mean, obviously, when God spoke to Abraham, it must have been more than just an idea. Hey, you know what I was thinking? I'm going to leave all my family and all my friends and my business and everybody I've ever known. I'm going to travel to a pagan land over there. I don't even know where I'm going. But I'm going to head you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles, and when I get there, uh, I'm, I'm going to find a home, and God's going to show me when I get there. You've got your mind. Nobody does that unless during that process of, of Abraham having faith that he must have experienced God in a way that transformed his whole life. Moses in the burning bush, he experienced it. David and Goliath. I mean, what kind of guy goes out there and, you know, has these stones, and, and when they asked him about it, he said, hey, you know, I've killed a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of the, I experienced God in the past, and he was faithful with the lion, he was faithful with the bear, he's been faithful my whole life. This is no big deal, because my faith is being solidified by my experience. Elijah and Mount Carmel, the woman with the issue of blood, Peter walking on water. Every one of these is an experience, uh, an encounter they had based on their faith that was empowered and energized by the Holy Spirit. And the same thing can happen to us. And what's the purpose of all of this? All of life changes when we encounter God or have an experience with him. I want you to think about your own spiritual life. Think about the times that you were tens. Think about the times that you were closer to him than you've ever been before. Those times were not based on circumstances. Those circumstances may have pushed you into a deeper fervency with him, but it was an encounter with him that changes everything. And then all of a sudden we've grieved him or we've backed off a little bit or we don't want to stay as focused on him and we kind of drop down and we have this up and down kind of relationship. But every time we've had an encounter with God, every time someone in this scripture has an encounter with God, it changes everything. So when was the last time you had an encounter with God? Was it today? Yesterday? This weekend? Was it last week or last month or last year? How long has it been since you've experienced God in a profound way? Since you, I'll use Hannah for an example. Since you experienced God on your own as much as you did at Asbury. Know what I mean? How long has it been? Since I went on that mission trip and I'm dealing with all these kids and I just love the Lord so much and love them. I want to give my life to service. And I came home and started playing video games again and then everything was lost. How long has it been since you've encountered the Lord? 
When is the last time you truly experienced his presence? And if you have a hunger for him, he's willing for you to experience him. He desires for you to experience him. It's part of the Christian life to experiencing him. All you have to do is want to and put what time is necessary and obey him in whatever he tells you to do because it's that encounter with God that changes everything. Amen? Rather than going doctrinally to these verses, you can look them yourself. That's the point that the key to the Christian life, the key to being used by him is to literally experience him in such a way that he will radically change your life. And by the way, every time you experience God, every time, whether it's through the word, through prayer, through repentance, through service, through singing, however you choose to, or however you experience God, every time you do, it's a life-altering, life-changing encounter. Amen? Let me pray.